Welcome to another episode of the Plugged In Podcast. Great to be back here this week with my co-host, Brianne. Brianne, what do we have on tap for this week? Well, we have lots of really interesting, I think kind of foreshadowing uh, the next big potential crisis in the U.S. energy security arena, and that is the very, very low supply of diesel fuel. Here today to talk to us about that is Mark Wolf. He's the executive director of the National Energy Assistance Directors Association, or NIEDA. He knows intimately about this topic. We discussed it at length last week for a magazine story that I did. Basically, I think we've seen a lot of, you know, relief pain at the pump for consumers or for drivers has largely abated. I mean, that's thanks to a number of things that the Biden administration has done. But one thing that has kind of gone, you mentioned that it's been really kind of a quiet crisis that's crept up on a lot of people. And that is the really stubbornly low supply of diesel fuel or distillate fuel, which provides home heating oil to homes in the Northeast and also is a crucial source of power for farmers for in the agriculture industry, other areas. Prices have been really stubbornly high. Inventories are low. Can you walk us through some of the main themes that are emerging here? Sure, I'd be glad to. It's not just supply, it's supply leading to price. And a lot of the concern has been about price until recently, but now concerns about just getting any fuel at all, especially up in the far regions of the Northeast, like Maine, New Hampshire, Vermont. There's a number of factors behind this, partly refinery shortages. I mean, this is a niche fuel, even though for truckers, it's obviously very important. For farmers, it is. And for about a third of the households in the Northeast, it's still relatively niche. People think about gasoline. The most important thing most people in this, this country want is access to affordable gasoline. Refineries can't turn on a dime. That is one of the problems. And so as we've come into this quietly almost, because what was surprising to me was that we've known for a while that reserves are low. Reserves are low, it leads to high prices. This happened last summer with natural gas. Same thing, markets acted in a way, I think, as if they were surprised. Like, really? Somebody's cheating? What's going on? And that wasn't expected. So I looked at it and I thought, well, reserves of natural gas are really low. Prices are going to go up unless something is done. Well, then come fall, prices shot up as if the dealers were surprised. The same thing's happening here. And it's happening very quickly. And, and people, especially in the Northeast, are alarmed because how they can heat their homes. Now, truckers up to a point can pass on the higher prices. You know, they had a protest last May. Now, some of that was a MAGA-related protest, but didn't get very far. And I think that's maybe tamping down the reaction we're seeing from truckers right now. But it can't go on for too long because there's one thing to have high prices, another thing to have no supply. And some of this is the problem with the war in Russia. Because remember, when the war first started, we said, okay, we're not going to buy any more Russian oil. It's only three or 4% of our supply. It's kind of a specialty supply. So no one paid attention, but specialty supply was diesel. And especially, you know, people always talked about, you know, supplies coming from Russia and the Northeast. Well, that's where some of the supply was coming from. And we've cut all that off. So going into the winter, we're seeing both high diesel prices as well as potential shortages of refined product in the Northeast. So we have a lot to worry about here. And the prices are off the charts. So not not to go on to for length, but EIA, you know, back back in October was projecting about four fifty a gallon for diesel or heating oil. Now we're looking at prices of six dollars a gallon, six fifty. And so I went saw four fifty. 
thought it was pretty high because I was rejecting about four. And I thought, well, gee, if they think 450, well, that's history now. We're not looking at prices in the range of $6. And if supplies really tighten up, you could see prices go to $8. Now, at that point, there'll be political fallout because at that point, the truckers are going to wonder how they're going to deliver anything at those prices. That's more than double what they were paying last year. And so while the average American or the, the typical residential consumer out there can buy gasoline at prices maybe 50 cents a gallon higher than a year ago, these prices are completely different. So we're going into an energy market that's separating in the way people are thinking about it, because I think everyone thinks, so most people in this country think that, well, all energy prices follow gasoline, because that's the one they see, that's the one they know. Now we have a number of fuels that are separating from gasoline. So natural gas is much higher, heating oil is much higher, and diesel is a lot higher. So, and of course, electricity follows that. We've been talking about that here on the podcast, yeah. that there's been so much focus for consumers on the price of the pump, but that there's yeah. these hidden cost increases elsewhere. Natural gas prices, if they run up this winter, clearly, yeah. again, it's going to be an issue for Americans who need natural gas to heat and power their homes. But it could be a crisis again. If there's a shortage of natural gas, then we're talking possibly blackouts, brownouts, a real heating crisis. When it comes to diesel, so you mentioned that truckers have the capacity to pass off some of the costs, but I assume that's going to be borne by consumers in the yep. form of higher groceries and, and everything else, higher Christmas presents heading mm -hmm. into the holidays. What is the answer? I agree with you that I think we all tend to think that everything tax and tracks gasoline right. prices, but what options are available? And isn't it a zero sum game? If we put a greater emphasis on refiners to crank out diesel, mm -hmm. is that going to impact jet fuel or other commodities? It's a zero sum game. You move more into diesel, you have less for gasoline, less for aviation fuel. So there's no simple answer, but what does require, I think it's thoughtful thinking by the administration how to plan for this. We should not have gone into this situation. You and I could see weeks ago that supplies were getting very tight. Mm -hmm. But I think because it was heating oil, it was still early. And then also it was diesel. So it's, it's kind of a kind of a niche market. It doesn't have as much visibility. You don't see truckers in food lines saying, I had, I had to go to a food line or a food bank to get food so I could pay for gasoline. You know, that's not how it works. They just pass on the cost. So I think what will happen is one of the administration is obviously looking at this. They're trying to figure out what to do. Look at, is there any spare refinery capacity in the country to try to pressure those refineries to do more diesel. We talked a little bit about, well, fuel storage, first off, is at its lowest point since 1951. You mentioned that emergency supplies. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but there's the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, but there is also the emergency kind of diesel reserves. And I think you mentioned last week, and correct me if I'm wrong, it only has enough emergency supplies as it stands today to last about 26 days in the event of an emergency shutoff, right? Which could really, really be painful for consumers this winter and really dangerous if homes in the Northeast cannot keep their lights right. on or their heating on. It's not a diesel reserve. It's a heating oil reserve. Even though it's the same fuel, it can just be used for heating oil. Then the second part I wanted to touch on was the kind of confluence of factors that have, are coming to a head at once, right? So New England has been dubbed what you described as a sort of energy island due to its dearth of pipeline oh. connection. A bunch of refineries in the US and China 
were shut down during the pandemic, as well as in the EU, I believe. And some of them have been turned into gas production facilities. And you mentioned these can't be turned on a dime. So in the near term, what are our options? Can we call on China to refine more? Is that a possibility? Can we import supplies from Europe in the short term? I know they mentioned that as a potential reprieve. It's unfortunate that we've gotten into a crisis where we're so reliant on one single fuel, right? Where do we go from here? Well, in the near term, like the next two to three months, even if China said, okay, we've got extra diesel, we'll ship it to you, it still has to get here. You can't stick it on an airplane. So in the next two to three months, we could have a very, very tight market, much higher prices. Now on heating oil, there's just so much you can cut back. I mean, there isn't a lot of capacity. You have to heat your home. Diesel, you can see truckers cutting back. You can see prices going up. You can see very, very tight markets. And now eventually, you know, the, the markets will respond. Refineries will produce more diesel. But in the short run, I don't see a lot of options that are easy to solve here because where will it come from? And I think that now reprieves could be a warmer winter, reduced demand. Reprieves could be that the economy will slow down more and there'll be fewer deliveries. I mean, that's another way things could go. But right now we're not there yet. And I think what we're, we're seeing is that prices are going up. Supplies are tightening up. And the concern in the Northeast is that there just won't be enough heating oil. I mean, there is an actual concern. We're having meetings about that right now. What do we do? It's not just a matter of price. And also you have the situation where oil dealer intermediaries, the major sort of middleman dealers that supply the smaller dealers are reluctant to buy heating oil as well because they're concerned the prices will come down in the near future. So that's creating part of the supply too. They're saying, look, we have a wholesale price of $5.50 a gallon and prices could go down to $4 a gallon in two months. We don't want to left holding the bag. So those kinds of problems are creating structural concerns that we really haven't seen in a long time. I mean, in the past, we've gotten oil from Canada. It's not like there's no oil around. If we pay enough money, we can get it. I think that's my sense. But the price is very high. So instead of a cost of heating a home, say, being $2,000 last year, we thought it could go to $2,400 this year. Families could be paying $3,000. I mean, product is available. So it's going to be very, very expensive. How long is this going to last? Are we talking to the end of the year, into the spring? Is this next year? Is this a multi-year thing? No, I think that depends on in the immediate term, how, just how cold it is. The last few days, it's been pretty cold here, at least in the mid-Atlantic states. But if it turns out not to be as cold, it'll give a chance to rebuild reserves. And that's what we knew. We need basically a reprieve, a weather reprieve. The thing is, it's not good to be going into the winter hoping that the weather will turn warmer. That's not a way to plan. And I think what it shows is a failing in our war planning, so to speak. When we went into the war in the Ukraine, we decided no more Russian oil because we only buy 3% of oil from there. That was short-sighted. You know, the administration should have thought, okay, what happens if we can't replace the Russian oil? What happens to the part of the country in the Northeast that's dependent on this, as well as the truckers? And I think it's easy to lose sight of only 4% of consumers use heating oil or diesel fuel. But 75% of those families are in the Northeast. So I think when planning and go, well, it doesn't sound like a big deal, you know, 4% yeah. of customers. So what, you know? And I'm surprised that didn't become more of an issue earlier because I actually went back after you and I had our first conversation and you mentioned how much of the Russian oil was directly passed on for home heating oil and stuff like that. I went back and read other reports to make sure, you know, was I missing something at the time? Were other outlets reporting this, noting its connection to the home heating oil? Nobody was. They were saying, oh, the U.S. doesn't really need it. It's not going to hurt us. The real damaging thing will be for the EU, stuff like that. So I went back and read a number of reports. I have to 
often wonder if this was just a failure of the Biden administration to, you know, correctly really estimate how long this war was in fact going to go on, or if it was a fault on behalf of reporters to, you know, really make these connections. But obviously the ball, the end result is the same, right? The ball has been dropped. Gas prices year on year have increased, but they've increased about only 11% overall. And I reported last week, diesel prices in contrast saw a 40% jump. That's a pretty stubbornly, really high increase. That's something we can't look away from. And yeah, I think it's really sent us careening into a winter crisis. It's totally nuts. I mean, I've been looking at both natural gas and diesel and uh, heating oil prices. And I'm looking and I'm thinking, well, maybe some of the lack of action by the administration has been concerns about piling back onto the EU. I mean, the administration, the Department of Energy has the authority to approve export licenses for oil and natural gas. I mean, it's in the law. There's a provision in there you're kind of vaguely written about, but the leases must be approved in terms of public in terms of the public interest. What does that mean? It's not defined. But think about the public interest, we're exporting more natural gas than we've ever done before. I mean, 20% of natural gas is now exported to Europe, and that's pushing up prices here. Then the diesel problem, I think, was completely foreseeable. Once we decided to crack down on Russian exports, and then we also had the refinery problems in the US, you could see there was going to be a shortage. It wasn't just a price problem. It was the way we deliver diesel fuel, and that would all come together around the winter. The people most at risk are the residential consumers in the Northeast. So it wasn't a surprise prize. But so many, there's so many moving pieces. And I think maybe that's where the administration got kind of shorthanded and all their focus was on gasoline. That's all they talked about. The whole thing was how do you get the price of gasoline down? Because consumers were so angry. There weren't like lots of angry truckers out there saying, well, it's kind of expensive. I mean, they're already set up in many cases to be able to pass that on. And that adds to underlying inflation. Residential consumers in the Northeast, however, and small businesses, it's not just not just homes that use heating oil, small businesses, state governments. It's, it's a primary fuel especially in New England, there just wasn't much attention paid to it. I think there was a sense that it would be taken care of. Somehow the markets were working out. Well, that hasn't happened. And I think as we now look towards this coming winter, there's a pu- potential public health crisis. What happens if, not just isn't, if there is enough oil, but if it's $6 a gallon? I always get nervous about energy policy decisions in an election year, because I feel like politics drives serious decision-making. And right. I think the focus on gasoline prices was largely driven by the fact that that is what, at least outside observers believe, moves votes that voters react to gasoline prices. Well, now the election's behind us. We have an outcome. So on a going forward basis, if we can take politics out of it and make sober-minded, rational energy policy decisions going forward, if you were advising the administration, if you were advising governors, if you were advising companies, what are some concrete steps that we can take in the next couple of weeks and months to get this crisis under control. And actually, to chime in before you answer, what about, do you think that something like export restrictions is feasible? I know that is something that has been floated around. I think both are are feasible. First, I think we have to look at, can we use the oil in the Northeast home heating oil reserve? I mean, it's not going to solve the problem. It'll take some pressure off of markets. Also send a signal to the dealers that there'll be oil available. So that's number one. I think second... Take a look at export licenses. The Department of Energy has the authority to review and make decisions about these licenses. It's not an open blank book or a blank checkbook. And I think that's one of the things that needs to be done because people here are hurting. And yes, there is a war. It's real. Europe is in much worse shape. Europe's buying up whatever they can buy anywhere, and it's working. I mean, their reserves are getting in good shape. Their prices are coming down. I think it's our attitude because we're also such a major producer in the United States. You're in Norway, obviously, as a producer for Europe. 
But we're a major producer. We produce most of our natural gas, most of our oil. But when this kind of situation came up, and I think it was foreseeable, we weren't prepared. And I think because, again, because of the election, every week people would ask Biden, you know, what are you doing about this? As if he controlled the market. Well, now we're coming into winter. And I think home heating bills, and I think diesel fuel in general, it's looked at differently. Diesel fuel doesn't get the same kind of media attention because, again, it's a small number of users. Even though they're important users, obviously, it's a small number of users. And the home heating oil states, it's a relatively small part of the country, an important part of the country. Someone said it was the same thing as the economy of Japan. So it's a very important part of the country. But I think we didn't really think about their dependence on a fuel that doesn't get a lot of attention except for now. I mean, who focuses on their electric bill, for example? I mean, it's complicated. It comes with pages and pages of explanations. Natural gas bill, the same thing. I skipped to the last page just right. to see how expensive it's going to be. Who reads it, right? So we got this problem coming up. High prices, very tight markets, which are leading to high prices. The hope that it could be a warmer winter and that could reduce demand. The economy could slow down more. That'll reduce demand. But that's not a solution to wait and hope God intervenes somehow. So I think what we're looking at is that in the next two months, most immediate time, because refineries could begin to turn around, could begin to produce more. But I think the next two months, the things that have to happen is the administration has to focus on this. I mean, they can't let this continue because our worry is that it's not going to be $6 a gallon, it'll be $8 a gallon gallon. And think of the public health impact and the impact on the economy if prices go that high. I mean, not all truckers can pass on the cost. So you're looking at a very serious impact on the economy there. We're running out of time. No, it's, it's winter's coming. Winter's already started. So what do we do? And then farmers, you know, farmers need to use heating oil. Some use propane now to dry out their crops. So it's not just heating oil. Sometimes it's propane. And there isn't a shortage of propane right now, as I understand. It. It's really just the heating oil part. We had one a couple of years ago and I was still at FERC at the time and it was mm -hmm. a challenge to deal with it because again, like the situation you're describing, it's a zero sum game. And if you prioritize flowing propane through a pipeline, well, that's going to knock out something else like jet fuel. And uh, yeah. this is all complicated stuff. Mark, really appreciate you flagging this for our listeners and breaking it down in such extreme detail. Brianne, you've done some great reporting on this very topic, which I would commend our listeners to all pull up and read, but really appreciate you, Mark, joining this week's episode. One thing to add here, and I was thinking about when you mentioned the propane situation. So when propane shortages hit and it was called, the governors of the Midwest states all worked together along with the propane companies to think through how to make sure supply got delivered, to make sure that available supplies are being used. That could be the model for right now too. I use my convening authority to bring everybody together. Some yep. of the states were filing complaints asking the commission to weigh in and prioritize one commodity over another. I said that that was beyond our expertise. And so we convened all the stakeholders together and had them work it out. The last thing to add is that I think the president should start to say, look, there's a cost to the war in the Ukraine. Supplies are tight. We can't fix this right away. But this is part of the shared sacrifice of the Ukrainians. I mean, I think December 5th is the next point where Europe has to decide about that they cut off all oil sanctions from Russia. Russia could retaliate and cut off all natural gas sales to Europe. So this is all part of the war effort to help Ukraine. And there is some pain associated with it. And I think it would be an important point to make because the public overall, I think, supports the war. The war is going well, but there could be additional prices to pay for this war. So I think that's an important point for the president to make. And everything follows from there. But if we act as if no big deal, we can handle it, 
then I think the public is going to be angry and they're going to feel like, well, why did this happen? So I think there's some time to repair the public now the election's over. But I think that's important to do because we could have shortages. We could have price spikes we haven't seen in a long time. And it will be painful, but it's something we can handle. Well, Mark, I just wanted to say thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. I cannot tell you how much your knowledge has really helped my reporting in recent days. And really appreciate you hopping on this week's Plugged In podcast, explaining what I think is a really critical, really not talked about enough issue for our listeners. So thank you again. And I look forward to connecting again soon. Hope this gets better for us all, this crisis. But I guess only time will tell. All things will pass. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thanks so much again for listening to Season 3 of the Plugged In Podcast. New episodes will be available on Tuesdays at noon Eastern Time. You can keep up with all things energy by following the Washington Examiner on all of our social media channels and by subscribing to the Daily on Energy newsletter, written by me, Brianne Depish, and my co-author, Jeremy Beeman. Beeman.